Brought to you by GSK. Learn about commercial coverage for Shingrix, Zoster Vaccine Recombinant Adjuvanted, by visiting coverageshingrix.com. Hello and welcome to the June 20th, 2023 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lean, Annals Editor-in-Chief, and I'm looking forward to telling you about the new material you'll find on annals.org. But first, I need to correct an error in the June 6 summary of the Systematic Evidence Review on Diagnostic Strategies for the Assessment of Suspected Stable Coronary Artery Disease. The authors conducted pairwise meta-analyses comparing six different tests, not a network meta-analysis as described in the June 6 podcast. The greatest evidence was found comparing coronary CT angiography with invasive coronary angiography and with two non-invasive functional tests. Authors found that compared with direct referral for invasive coronary angiography, coronary CT angiography was associated with no difference in cardiovascular death and myocardial infarction. Compared to non-invasive functional tests of exercise electrocardiography and single photon emission computed tomography myocardial perfusion imaging, or SPECT-MPI, coronary CT angiography was also associated with a reduction in cardiovascular death and myocardial infarction. The authors concluded that for the initial assessment of patients with suspected stable coronary artery disease, coronary CT angiography was associated with similar health outcomes and was less invasive compared with direct referral for invasive coronary angiography, and was also associated with benefit compared with exercise, electrocardiography, and single photon emission computed tomography myocardial perfusion imaging. Now to the new articles. Estimates suggest that more than 40% of patients with diabetes in the United States have trouble paying their medical bills, and among patients with health-related financial hardship, 56% have delayed or forgotten care. Crowdfunding, such as GoFundMe, is increasingly being used by these patients to cover medical costs. Studying crowdfunding campaigns can shed light on the expenses that contribute to patients' financial distress. Researchers from Duke University School of Medicine, the University of Washington School of Medicine, and Stanford University School of Medicine studied a random sample of 313 active U.S. medical crowdfunding campaigns requesting support for a single patient with diabetes posted on GoFundMe from 2010 to 2020. The real-world testimonies detailing patient situations were reviewed to characterize the types of expenses they were looking to cover. The researchers found that the median fundraising goal was $10,000, with 14% of campaigns reaching their fundraising goal. The data showed that many aspects of diabetes care beyond insulin were deemed cost-prohibitive, including life-saving care such as hospitalizations and food. Even people with insurance use crowdfunding due to lack of coverage for certain expenses or unaffordable co-payments. The researchers also found that 35% of patients with type 1 diabetes started fundraising campaigns for diabetic alert dogs, which cost about $15,000 and are not covered by insurance because of high variability in effectiveness. The researchers say that clinicians who learn of a patient's intent to purchase a dog could redirect them toward proven management strategies, such as continuous glucose monitors. Policymakers should consider these patient needs and expenses when developing policies to help diabetes care become more affordable. Cystic fibrosis is a life-shortening autosomal recessive disease affecting approximately 150,000 people worldwide. Most cases in populations of Northern European ancestry are due to a biallelic pathogenic variant in the CFTR gene. As such, professional societies recommend screening for cystic fibrosis 
either in the preconception period or in early pregnancy. Next is a report of a pregnant woman who is a carrier of cystic fibrosis with two previous children affected by cystic fibrosis, who was treated with Alexa-4-Tezacaftor ibavactor, which I'll call ETI, a cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator modulator, during pregnancy and gave birth to a healthy baby after experiencing complications in the two previous pregnancies. The article reports the use of ETI in this pregnant carrier cystic fibrosis to prevent adverse in utero effects of cystic fibrosis in the fetus. The mother's other two children were affected by cystic fibrosis and had the F508-DEL mutation, and both had meconium illness in utero and required intestinal surgery after birth. Amniocentesis showed that the current fetus was positive for the F508-DEL mutation. The mother was treated with ETI and seven weeks after starting therapy, ultrasound showed resolution of both meconium ileus and distal microcolon. At 39 weeks gestation, the patient delivered a healthy female infant with normal stools while tolerating breast milk. Unlike her siblings, she did not require bowel surgery. The researchers were encouraged that starting cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator modulation therapy in the mother was associated with fewer and less severe complications in the baby. Their findings suggest that additional study of this therapy in larger patient cohorts is warranted. In a new Annals Beyond the Guideline feature, two gastroenterologists discuss and debate CT scanning for diagnosis, antibiotics for treatment, colonoscopy to screen for underlying malignancy, and elective surgery to prevent recurrent disease in patients with diverticulitis. In a recently published clinical practice guideline, the American College of Physicians recommended the use of abdominal CT scanning in cases where the diagnosis was uncertain, initial management of uncomplicated cases in the outpatient setting without antibiotics, referral for colonoscopy after initial episode if not performed recently, and discussion of elective surgery to prevent recurrent disease in patients with complicated diverticulitis or frequent episodes of uncomplicated disease. The Grand Rounds discussants, Judy Nee, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, and Anthony Lembo, Director of Research for the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute at Cleveland Clinic, discuss the case of a 62-year-old woman with recurrent uncomplicated episodes of diverticulitis initially diagnosed by CT scan. In their assessment, both Drs. Nee and Lembo agree with the ACP guidelines in that they do not recommend antibiotics for patients diagnosed with mild, uncomplicated diverticulitis or advise repeat colonoscopy for patients with uncomplicated diverticulitis who are up-to-date with routine colorectal cancer screening. Dr. Nee says that CT scan was important for the initial diagnosis of acute diverticulitis in the patient to rule out alternative causes of abdominal pain and may be warranted now because the patient has recurrent symptoms. However, antibiotics and colonoscopy do not seem necessary because the patient's diverticulitis is uncomplicated and she is up-to-date on colonoscopy screening. Dr. Lembo agrees that colonoscopy is unnecessary, but antibiotics might be warranted unless her symptoms are very, very mild. Dr. Nee thinks that the patient should be referred for a discussion about elective surgical resection given her frequent recurrences, as the benefits of this procedure may outweigh the risks. Dr. Lembo would not recommend elective surgery at this time, but would advise further discussion with the colorectal surgeon, given that the patient expressed a desire for surgery. All Beyond the Guidelines features are based on the Department of Medicine Grand Rounds at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and include print, video, and educational components, all available on annals.org.
The topic of this month's In the Clinic Review is dyslipidemia. Go to annals.org to review the prevention, diagnosis, and management of dyslipidemia, an important risk factor for coronary artery disease, cerebrovascular disease, and a variety of other conditions. Effective and safe treatments for pregnancy-related nausea and vomiting are lacking. Many pregnant women are reluctant to use any pharmacologic therapy for fear of adverse effects to the fetus, so acupuncture is an attractive treatment option. The next article reports a randomized trial that compared the effectiveness and safety of acupuncture, doxalamine pyridoxine, the combination of acupuncture and drug therapy, and control in women with moderate to severe pregnancy-related nausea and vomiting. 352 women were randomized to active acupuncture plus drug, sham acupuncture plus drug, active acupuncture plus placebo, and sham acupuncture plus placebo. The primary outcome was improvement in the pregnancy unique quantification of emesis score at the end of intervention at day 15 relative to baseline. Secondary outcomes included quality of life, adverse events, and maternal and perinatal complications. Study participants receiving acupuncture, doxalamine, pyridoxine, or their combination experienced a larger improvement in symptom score over the course of treatment than their respective control groups. Compared with placebo, a high risk of births with small for gestational age were observed for doxalamine pyridoxine. The researchers conclude that both acupuncture and doxalamine pyridoxine alone are modestly efficacious for pregnancy-related nausea and vomiting. Combining acupuncture and doxalamine pyridoxine may yield a potentially larger benefit than each treatment alone, but further study is warranted. We know that daily low-dose aspirin, often used for cardiovascular prevention, increases the risk for major bleeding. However, few studies have investigated whether daily aspirin is also associated with iron deficiency and anemia. The next article investigated the effect of low-dose aspirin on incident anemia, hemoglobin, and serum ferritin concentrations with a post-hoc analysis of the aspirin in reducing events in the elderly randomized control trial. Participants were 19,114 older community-dwelling individuals who received 100 milligrams of aspirin daily or placebo. Hemoglobin concentration was measured annually in all trial participants, and ferritin was measured at baseline and three years after randomization in a large subset of patients. Anemia incidence in the aspirin and placebo groups was 51.2 events and 42.9 events per 1,000 person years, respectively, for a hazard ratio of 1.20 with a 95% confidence interval from 1.12 to 1.29. Hemoglobin concentrations declined in both groups, but the aspirin group experienced a steeper decline than the placebo group. In the 7,139 participants with ferritin measures at baseline in year three, the aspirin group had greater prevalence than placebo group of ferritin levels less than 45 grams per liter at year three, and greater overall decline in ferritin compared to placebo. A sensitivity analysis quantifying the effect of aspirin in the absence of major bleeding produced similar results. The researchers conclude that low-dose aspirin increased incident anemia and decline in ferritin in otherwise healthy older adults independent of major bleeding. They suggest periodic monitoring of hemoglobin in older individuals on daily aspirin. Dengue is an important cause of travel-associated morbidity, but data on complicated dengue in travelers are limited. The authors of the next article conducted a retrospective chart review and analysis of travelers with complicated dengue reported to 20 international geosentinel sites from January 2007 through July 2022. Of 5,958 patients with dengue, 
95 or 2% had complicated dengue. 86 of these 95 patients completed a supplemental questionnaire. Of these, 99% reported warning signs and 32% were classified as severe. The median age was 34 years with a range from 8 to 91 years and 25% had underlying comorbidity. Patients acquired dengue most frequently in the Caribbean and Southeast Asia when traveling as tourists or visiting friends and relatives. 91% were hospitalized and one person died from non-dengue-related illness. Common laboratory findings and signs were thrombocytopenia, elevated transaminases, bleeding, and plasma leakage. Among severe cases, ophthalmological pathology, severe liver disease, myocarditis, and neurologic symptoms were reported. While these results may not be generalizable beyond geosentinel sites, the findings suggest that complicated dengue is relatively rare among travelers. However, clinicians should monitor patients with dengue closely for warning signs that may indicate progression to severe disease. Prospective study of risk factors for developing complications of dengue in travelers is needed. The last article I'll mention is an ideas and opinions commentary that argues that as medical practice has become more specialized, the United States Medical Licensing Examination, or USMLE Step 3, has become outdated. In recent years, there have been significant changes to the USMLE STEP examinations with the transition of Step 1 to pass-fail and the elimination of Step 2 clinical skills. The commentary states that these changes bring us to a unique time of reflection regarding the purpose and structure of Step 3. Go to annals.org to see why the authors believe that a better marker of knowledge and progression during residency may be found through existing specialty-specific in-service training exams which are already administered broadly in many fields. Also new on annals.org are the current issue of ACP Journal Club and the latest episodes of the Annals Consult Guys and the Annals on Call podcast. The Consult Guys address the question, when is a coronary calcium score helpful? And Annals on Call features a conversation about starting SGLT2 inhibitors during hospitalizations for heart failure. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and please go to annals.org to delve deeper into the new material I've highlighted. You can earn CME and MOC credit if you do. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson, Andrew Langman, and Bernie Turner for their technical support. Brought to you by GSK. Learn about commercial coverage for Shingrix, Zoster vaccine recombinant adjuvanted, by visiting coverageshingrix.com.